Folks, we are in our second week of Song Psalms. I think you're going to know this song, so sing along if you want, or at least sit back and enjoy. And I don't know what you've been told, but time is running out, no need to take it slow. No stepping to your toe to toe. I should be scared, honey, maybe so But I ain't worried about it right now We're keeping dreams alive 1999 heroes I ain't worried about it right now Swimming in the flood Dancing on the clouds below I ain't worried about it to get this series started, isn't it? All right. Man, aren't we all looking for some place where we ain't worried about stuff? It's summertime. It is time to take vacations. And what is a vacation for except to escape, right? Or get away from the worries of whatever is going on in your life. It's some place where you ain't worried about anything right now. Now, granted, we're wanting probably a vacation where we can relax. And to be fair, not all vacations are relaxing depending on how many small people you're in charge of when you go on vacation. But admittedly, you're at least looking for a different change of pace, some place where things are a little bit different. That in itself is a relief. Or maybe just getting away from things in life that have become really difficult. Uh, maybe even uh, a change of pace for whatever it is that you're working on. Even the movie Top Gun that that song became so popular in, the fellas are on the beach escaping the rigor of their training for a moment, Right? That's what vacation kind of does for us in some way or another, some place where we ain't worried. What do you need a break from today? 
What is it that you would really like to get away from? What worries would you like to just lay down? What concerns would you like to have feel lighter with maybe a change of scenery? What weight would you like to lay down with a moment away from the constant pressures of life? I think many of us would like to escape the grind. We're going to talk about vacation a little bit today. Um, Let's go to Psalm 101. If you have um, your Bibles or your apps and you want to follow along, you can be getting there. It'll also always fall, um, show up on the screen behind me. Psalm 101. It's a Psalm of David. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I, somebody told me one time they were going to like cross-stitch that and put it above their TV. <laughs> I, will not, I will not look on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. And the one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked of the land, and I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a vacation psalm to you, but um, this is largely considered to be a coronation psalm. This is written at a time in, in David's life when he, is, uh, he has been following God. This is not necessarily a litany of past behavior, but it is a moment of resolution. He is saying, from this moment forward, this is what I'm vowing. At this new season of life, at this new juncture, this new place where I am, this is, what's, this is a reset psalm. This is a leadership psalm. He is leading the people by leading an example, these things that he's doing. David is setting the pace. And if I can just reiterate the few things that he's saying in there without all of his lovely language, he's saying, I'm going to worship. I'm going to conduct my affairs with blamelessly beyond accusation. I'm going, to, I'm going to conduct myself in a way that keeps people above reproach, that keeps people from accusing me. I'm going to have nothing to do with evil. I'm going to silence the slander that I hear around me. I'm not going to tolerate people who look down on other people. And I'm going to get counsel from other blameless people. I'm going to be careful who I listen to. I'm going to be careful who I allow to speak into my life. And I'm frankly, I'm going to put up boundaries around the wicked and the evildoers and around deceit and lies. Now listen, vacation can be a lot of things. But at the very least, a vacation can be a reset. A vacation can be a time when you decide among yourselves that you're going to come back with a new idea, right? It's a chance to reevaluate where you are. It's a chance to get rejuvenated. You're going to get your act together, and you're going to come back and engage life with a better attitude, with better focus, with better boundaries, maybe with better tolerance for the whack jobs that you have to come back to, whoever they are. Maybe with more creativity. For, do you know they've done studies on this? People come back from vacation with the same problems they had when they left, but they have been shown to demonstrate more creativity toward how they're going to manage those things. There's something about getting away, getting time away, that allows them to do that. All good things. So if you get nothing else from today's message, this is what I'm going to argue. Jesus wants you to have a vacation. 
I don't have one to give you. And I'm not doing that today. I'm not saying that you have to go, um, you know, more than 300 miles away. I'm not saying that you have to spend money. I'm not saying any of that. I am saying that there is a place in your life where I believe Jesus wants you to take a break, maybe have a chance to reset. So, did Jesus take a vacation? That's debatable, particularly in how we describe vacations today. Um, does he want us to take a vacation? I think yes. So, here's my case. First of all, the idea of the modern vacation, let's just give you a little history background, is a rather modern concept, right? That's not, this is kind of brand new. Now, to be fair, the wealthy in many cultures have taken seasons to relocate, okay? If you had enough money and you didn't like the, the, the temperature of your, of your home at a particular time of the year, then you would, lo- you would relocate. You would go somewhere else for a season, and then you would move back in some, uh, some way, all right? So we've always had that going on. Industrialization, believe it or not, in the 1800s is where this really begins to take root because people are now working in factories that legitimately have poor working conditions, right? I mean, you think the, th- the smog is bad in New York City right now. Uh, imagine that, and people are inside of factories to go with that, right? And so there becomes opportunities for people to get out of there. There's actually a well-known preacher who writes what is arguably a, a tour guide for going into the Adirondack Mountains. You can still get it on at Walmart's site. You can get this printed. It was printed in 1869 by W.H. Murray. A, no, no, H. H. Murray, William H. H. Murray, 1869, called Camp Life in the Adirondacks, okay? And his idea was that people needed to get out of the city and get out into creation and just relax and rejuvenate there. And here's what he said. This is what he predicted. Hotels will multiply. Cottages will be built along the shores of the lakes. White tents will gleam. And hundreds of weary and overworked men and families, is what he meant, will penetrate the wildness to find solitude, health, and repose. Now, it became a bestseller overnight. Unfortunately, that very first summer was like one of the wettest and coldest summers New York had ever had, and the mosquitoes were horrendous. And it was a really rough time. But it did not hold anybody back. They still went back in droves, and it became a really, really big deal, and they definitely developed a camping and and vacation lifestyle. So they're heading toward the mountains. On the other side, people began to go toward Coney Island. Coney Island becomes like your first amusement park, and that becomes Sodom on the sea, right? That's where people went to do things that they didn't feel comfortable doing at home, which also becomes kind of a trademark of some kinds of vacations. And... Um, and again, they, it was very similar, I suppose, to um, the slogan that the Tourism uh, Commission in Vegas came up with in 2003. Do you know how recent that is? 2003, the Tourism Commission came up with, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. This is kind of what they were already doing in Coney Island. It was an opportunity to get away from Victorian lifestyles and go out there and have a, your fling, and then you would come back and get back to work. All right? A place to go and cut loose. And then with the advent of the highway system, now you get people taking road trips, right? And how many of you have been on that lovely road trip with several children who are in the back seat? right? And you're just, I don't know. We were talking to our son recently. They're on their way to the beach with uh, her family. And I could, he was talking to us and I could hear her straightening out the kids in the back seat because somebody wasn't happy about something. That's what we're talking about, right? But at the very least, people began to look for a way to get away, maybe on an annual basis, 
to have a change of scenery for, a various, for various reasons. So I began to scour the Gospels. Did Jesus ever take a road trip? Did he ever take a road trip? Well, apparently not with children, but he did travel a good bit, and there's fair evidence that he, like, you know, had a cruise, or at least a boat, right? He had a lot of boating going on. And he would leave from here to go to there. It says he would move from this city to the next city, and then he would get in a boat. And it wasn't his boat, it was a friend's boat. And I'm not sure you would call that a vacation, but he's at least moving. If he needed a passport back then, I'm telling you, it would have had a lot of stamps in it because he was moving around at that kind of pace. And then in times of stress, rather than definitely on a particular season, he would withdraw. During his ministry, it says several times, he would withdraw because his ministry doesn't have an office. He's not like he has a place that he's at a permanent, you know, brick and mortar that he has to leave, but he would pull away from the crowd, from whatever was going on, and he would go to a solitary place, a place in the wilderness, some place where nobody else wanted to be, some place to be alone, all right? Similar ways to our modern vacation of a chance to take a break, to reset, sometimes to grieve, and to talk to God. Sometimes people had to hunt him down. He would take off early in the morning and, uh, to go talk to God, and people would say, Jesus, where you been? People are looking for you. There are folks here. They're ready to meet with you. Where have you been? And this, to me, is the curious behavior. Because for Jesus, I can think of no one else on the planet who had a more urgent task. He alone knew that he had three lousy years to get his work done. Three lousy years to save our souls, to do everything he's going to do, to minister to people, to preach, to heal, to, um, to be in people's lives, to teach them everything he needs to teach them. That's all he has. And yet he's never in a hurry. And he still takes breaks. That's intriguing to me because if I had been his personal assistant, and I had known that there were only three years. This is what it would have looked like for me, right? I would have had a three-year calendar planned out to the hour. I would have said, this is where you need to be, Jesus, and I would have had advanced teams going and having things set up for him, right? I would have had folks lined up to help with the healing and, um, and all of that. We would have had lines. We would have had crowd dividers. It would have been very orderly. We would have scheduled classes for the disciples to make sure they didn't miss anything they needed to know. We would have had meals lined up. We would have had lodging arranged. And I probably would have had him skip that gnarly crucifixion thing, right, and found some other way for him to save us than to do all of those things. That's what I would have done. And I would have been worried about whether we were getting it done on time. And yet, despite the urgency of what Jesus had to do, he never hurried and he still took time off. But us, with a whole lot less on the line, we scurry around as if the world depends on us. We can't take time off because the world needs us for some reason. We frantically work to prove ourselves and to get ahead, and to get ahead of who, I would argue? I would say everybody else, I suppose. So, number one, at the very least, I believe Jesus wants us to take a break, take a vacation from our addiction to productivity. I think a vacation, at the very least, is an opportunity to take a break from an addiction to productivity. And I feel this particular thing in spades, right? Because that's the, that is the, the heritage that I have. My people believe that you aren't worth much unless you are producing much, right? And so it's a hard thing to break loose from. And yet Jesus didn't come to pile on. 
Jesus did not come and design us and leave us to be exhausted. He is not handing out gold stars and bonus points for people who worked the hardest in the shortest amount of time or achieves the most. As a matter of fact, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, I've got King James in my head, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. This is what Jesus has for us. And it reminds me of the parable of the sower. And I'm not going to lay that whole thing out. I don't have time to do all of that. But if you're familiar with the parable that he told, he likened people to seeds that are planted in four different types of soil. The one is the, the path when the birds take it away. The second one, um, it doesn't survive either. The third one is the one I'm interested in. And that one is the one, I think the second one's rocky. This is the one that is in the soil with thorns. All right? It's the soil with thorns. And this is how... He describes what happens to the seed. Matthew 13, it shows up in three different Gospels. Matthew 13, 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but are you ready? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here's how Mark says it, right? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And then finally, Luke says it this way, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but they go on their way. As they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasure, and they do not mature, right? They do not mature. They're not fruitful, and they do not mature. Here's the thing. Our addiction to productivity, in my mind, is tied to this deceitfulness of wealth, Now, it isn't just, he's not just talking to wealthy people. He is saying, regardless of how little or how much you have, there is a deceitfulness that comes with wealth. And the deceit is this. The lie of money is that a little bit more will do it. Just a little bit more will give me what I need to feel secure. A little bit more will get me through this this recession that they keep chatting about, right? Just a little bit more will make me feel comfortable like, oh, I can, I can take a break. And if we never reach that point, we're not willing to take a break because we've got limited time and we've got to earn, 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 and we've got to provide for our families and we have to do all of these things. I'm telling you, that is the voice of the enemy. That is the voice of the enemy. Now listen, we have often assigned, I'm going to talk about groups of people here for a minute so you can email me later. We have been, we've talked for a while about how the baby boomers were overachievers and they had to make all the money and rah, rah, rah. And then when the millennials came along, do you remember all the articles that were written? Those lazy millennials, they will not go to work. They will not do anything. They're just playing video games all day long and living off their parents in this entitled and privileged way, and they have this extended adolescence. And, you know, and there was all this hand-wringing about that. And, and, And by the way, I'm kind of like on the edge. I'm not even technically a baby boomer. I'm like born on the last year of the count. You know what I mean? I don't know what I am. I'm an in between. But can I just apologize? I feel called to apologize for all of those words that I believe were absolutely meaningless and unnecessary because I am noticing an unbelievable work ethic among millennials. Now, it might have taken a little longer to get off the ground based on the way college has played out and all of the rest of it, but I'm telling you, I'm seeing a work ethic that no one, now it may not look exactly like an eight to five punch the clock kind of thing, but I'm watching millennials who frankly need a vacation. They really could stand 
to, to not get stuck on that wheel of trying to produce all of this stuff. I'm telling you, it is, it's difficult when we're out there trying to do all these things, raising families, amassing bank accounts, and then struggling to figure out why we're so fatigued. Because there's so much going on. I'm telling you, Jesus felt free to take a nap in a boat in the midst of a storm. We should feel free to take a nap in the midst of the storm of whatever life is throwing at you right now. You might just need that. And it might need to be a long nap that smells like a vacation in some way. Because here's the problem. Personal ambition, the drive for more, the deceitfulness of wealth will choke out our spiritual growth. It will choke it out. Now notice this. It doesn't kill it. The first two seeds fell on the path and the rocky soil where they kind of grew up or, or, or they just never even kept, stayed alive. Those seeds died, okay? The, the seed in this third soil grows, it has leaves, but it doesn't mature and it doesn't produce fruit. It's alive, but it's not producing anything. And I believe that that's what we're talking about. It's stunting our growth. And we like, well, we're okay. We're still making it to church and we're doing the things. And we're, but, you're, but I'm not producing. I'm, I'm not producing fruit. Instead, I'm producing bank accounts and, and whatever these other achievements are of raising my kids the way I think they need to be raised and all of those stuff. Okay? Whatever your motivation, an addiction to productivity will stunt our growth. And it will stymie our ability to live fruitful lives for Jesus. So some of us need a break for that reason. Number two, I think some of us need a vacation to recover. I think Jesus wants some of us to take a vacation to just recover from whatever is happening in your life right now, okay? Because the other problem with the seeds that fall among the thorns is not just the deceitfulness of wealth. It's the worries of life. And if there's anything we need to recover for, if there's anything that we need to see therapy, therapists for, it's the worries of life, isn't it? It's the things that create anxiety in our lives that we're struggling with, right? So despite living in the most prosperous and developed society on earth, we are buried in the worries of life. We're worried about our children. Some of us now are worried about our parents, we're worried about our friends. We're worried about society and all of the problems that go along with. We're worried about smoke from Canadian wildfires. We're worried about politics. We're worried about war in the Ukraine. We are so connected that we are worried about things that are far removed from us, so far removed that we can't do anything about them. I mean, we can pray, but that's about it, right? That we are, we are no longer just worried about the things that are nearby that we can actually attend to and do something about. We're so connected, but we, we just can't do anything about it. I'm telling you, you haven't had a real vacation unless you can unplug from worry until you can let loose of some worry, whatever that means. Now, again, Maybe you can't afford a trip to the beach or some exotic location. Maybe you don't have any time off that you're permitted. I'm not sure that location is what does the trick. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty doggone certain location doesn't do the trick. I've talked to people in lovely locations who are just as worried and upset and, and um, unrested um, as people back here. It has so much more to do with your ability to release, to release the things that weigh you down, the things that keep you up at night, the things that you're trying to escape. Because we need a time and a space to recover. <clears throat> Thankfully, we have a God who thought of that ahead of time, 
And he is a God of rhythm, and I love this about him, because he turns the lights out every few hours and says, there. And what did we do? We invent ways to turn the lights back on, right? And he's like, you know, chill out, take a nap, right? He even makes our bodies shut down, right? And we're like, I can't keep going. He's like, no, you can't. You know what I mean? We need sleep, right? God knew that we needed that. He could have created us as energizer bunnies, but no, he knew that we would need a rhythm of repose. And then he went so far as to instruct us to take a whole day off once a week. And some of us are struggling with that. We're like, oh, and I'm not saying it has to be Sunday. I don't, you know, whatever. But you know what? If you do not have a regular rhythm of rest, you're going to wear out. You are going to wear out and you are not living as as healthy and fruitful a life as God wants you to live. And then I think for, for us, there's this time of Jesus just taking off time, not even on a regular basis, but setting the example of taking off time when he was weary from a tiring and a sad season. A tiring and a sad season. Mark 6, 30 through 32. Um, John the Baptist has been in prison. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. John the Baptist is a distant relative to Jesus. We don't know how close. We like to think he was a cousin, but we don't know. The bottom line is he is related to him. And it says, starting in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, and that, that John the Baptist was dead. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Do you get what's going on here? The ministry's not over. There's still a crowd of people. There are people there who want his attention. He doesn't stay until every single person is satisfied with enough of him. He is like, I'm weary, I am grieving for his his relative, and he wants some time away. They haven't even had a chance to replenish their bodies with food, and it's time to get away. Now, to be fair, those of you who know the rest of the story, this attempt to go away and rest gets interrupted, and now he's feeding 5,000 people. (laughs) And he will have to delay that until he sends the, um, the disciples across the sea, and he goes up on a mountain finally by himself to get some rest. Here's the deal. Grief is tiring. Worry is exhausting. It is a grind. And some of us honestly need to get away and recover. If things are going on, I don't know why we don't see more of that. When we lose someone, when something significant has happened to us that represents a grief, I mean, that's when we need a vacation plan. That's when we need a little sabbatical. That's when we need to recover from some of those things, right? Now, well, listen, we're not taking vacation to hide from stuff. This is not escapism. This is not, you know, kicking our worries down the road and we're going to deal with it every way. What we're saying is every day has enough worry of its own. That's Jesus' words, Matthew 6 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. We just ain't worried about it right now, right? Right now, we need to be able to let loose of that. Here's what a great vacation will do for you. A great vacation will release us from the grind of worry. It will refresh us for our our daily task. It may provide a time of reflection for you to lean into the pain of grief, Um, not to dismiss it or to mask it. It may give you time to process fully, right? I, I tell everyone, if you're grieving right now, my prayer is that you grieve really well. Grieve really well. Don't run from it. Grieve really well, because if you don't, you'll grieve later. You'll do it again later. 
So do it now, lean in and, and grieve and, and experience the pain of what that is. We sometimes dismiss how big a toll worry takes on our physical beings and we need space to recover. Number three, I think Jesus wants us to take a vacation to reset. I'm not sure a lot of us make an effort to do this, but I think it's valuable. Now listen, again, some people are doing vacation wrong. They go, they go on vacation and, and for some people it's a vent right? I mean, think of spring break. <laughs> think of, of people who go away to do things that they would not do in their hometown. I had somebody tell me that. Well, when we go away on vacation, I drink things I won't drink at home, and I use substances that I won't keep at home or use around my children. It's our chance to get away. What? That, that's not what a vacation is for. It's not some, some break for you to push social and moral boundaries that you have, right? Although, I did find this amusing. My husband and I went to a stadium concert recently, which in Ohio Stadium, which is pretty doggone massive. And we're not really stadium concert goers. I didn't understand. But I am I'm mesmerized by people watching. And uh, we were there to see, um, I want to say Garth Brooks, George Strait. We're there to see George Strait. There were several other people, Chris Stapleton and a whole bunch of other people. But I could not get my eyes off of the little Amish guy in the front row. I'm sorry, there were lots of cowboy hats there, but I know an Amish hat when I see one. And that was not a cowboy hat, that was an Amish hat. And his wife was wearing a covering. She was not, that was, she was not wearing a cowboy hat either. And I know they were cheating. I know you're not allowed to do that. Because I grew up in, in the Mennonite Amish circles. I know that they're in trouble if they do that. And I would have taken a picture and put it on social media, but they're not allowed to do that either. So nobody would have seen it. And I was thinking, you know, he knows that there's 80,000 people here and nobody sees what he's doing. I don't have a problem with him going to a concert. I just know it's against their rules. And so wild living is, you know, uh, is relative to whatever you consider wild living, but I found that to be interesting, right? Here's the problem with, with all of that. Oh, and I have to rush. Do you remember the older son when the prodigal son, come, son comes home from wild living? This is what happens. The older son becomes angry because the father had thrown a party. And he said uh, he refused to go in. And the father went out and pleaded with him. And he said to his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. The way we respond to those things reveals what's been eating at us. It reveals what's, what's happening there, right? He's taking offense at something which says something about him. I don't know what it takes to get your blood pressure up, what you think is unfair. People getting away with poor choices and having no consequences, cutting in line at a stadium, getting ahead of someone financially inappropriately. But what the older son is doing here is he is demonstrating that his walking with Jesus was not authentic. He was like, if I could get away with it, I would have lived like that too, right? If we use our vacations to go throw away boundaries that we keep back home, what we're saying is these boundaries are just being held in place by some sort of social guard. And we aren't really, vacations are not a place to, to escape the boundaries that God has given you so that you can come home and pretend a little bit longer, right? It's not to go out there so you can come back and muscle through some righteous living a little bit longer, right? It could be a place for you to go and absolutely reset and get a break from your schedule, from routine, from production, from worry, from ambition. Now listen, I know you got some people in your family, you plan a vacation and one of you wants to rest and the other one wants to plan every three minutes, 
right? One of you wants to sit on the beach and the other one has got everything scheduled out and you come home and you have, you, first of all, you are not rested. And second of all, you're facing credit card charges you do not want to pay next month, right? And the whole thing, you're doing it wrong. If you come home from vacation and you feel more stressed than when you left, you're doing it wrong. That's not what it meant for, was meant for you to do and perhaps not really what will give you the chance to do that, right? But if you can have a chance to just take a minute on a beach on a walk in the woods, on a walk around the park, whatever, and just reevaluate, like the psalmist said, how am I going to live in this new season? What am I going to do? What am I going to tolerate in this new season? What am I going to cut out of my life? What am I going, what kind of slander am I going to be willing to shut down instead of put up with? Where am I not going to engage people who are going to look down on other people? Where am I going to be more careful about where I receive counsel? This is what the psalmist is doing, right? He's he's taking time to figure out and reset his life. Now listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what kind of vacation that you have planned or are able to take. But here's how we're going to do our ministry time today. Instead of having our prayer team up here like we usually do, the worship team's going to come back out in a minute. I'm wondering if there are some of us in here and you know that whether you have a vacation on the books or not, you know that you need to reset. You know that there's a time in your life where you just need to figure out where there are some new boundaries that you're going to establish, where there are some relationships that you were going to prioritize, whether there are uh, a few relationships that you frankly just need some distance from. And you need to figure that out. Maybe you'll take some time and get to do that. You're probably not going to think about that as deeply as you should during your regular routine. Maybe you're going to reevaluate the things you've permitted into your life. And you're like, you know what? It's time to kind of block some of those things. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to think more carefully about where I'm drawing my strength from with other people. Let's come to our feet as we consider these things. If you are somebody this morning who you just know you need a vacation and you would like some prayer over that, you don't want to lose your job, you don't want to spend money you don't have, but you know you need a break from that and you need a reset, I want you to come up here and I want to pray over you. How about this? Is there someone in here who knows they need a break from the addiction to productivity? That you have been leaning too hard on your ability to do stuff and you know it's weighing you down and you know it is, it is affecting the way you're relating to your family, it's affecting your relationships, it's affecting your walk with God. It's affecting your ability to be fruitful. Your production, your ambition, your achievements have become a little obsessive for you. It's become your identity. If you can't make and do those things, you're not sure who you are. That's what you need to feel affirmed in this life. If that's you, would you come forward and let us pray over you? If you know there's a, that your work life needs a better rhythm than you have right now, and you would like some prayer over that, would you come forward? It's tough, man, when that's, when that's what, what makes us feel like who we are, when that's the thing that makes us feel valuable, but there's something deep in our heart where like we know that we're messing some stuff up. We know this is a bad rhythm. 
We know it is. Anybody else that's really struggling with this just, this productivity thing and this addiction to it? Because honestly, it gets rewarded, right? It gets rewarded with finances. It gets rewarded with moving ahead in life. And we sometimes don't count the cost of the, of the places where it's really hurting us. Finally, how many of you in here, whether you've got time for it or not, you know you need a vacation to recover from something. You need some recovery time. You just need some space to just breathe out some of the things that you have been going through. Again, I don't have a free vacation package to give you, but I would challenge you to to shake up your routine in ways that don't break your wallet. Find a way, find a way to break up routine that allows you some time to recover in some way. You honestly need a solitary space. Again, not an escapism. You're not kicking your worries further down the road. You need a place, an honest pursuit of God's comfort. Honest pursuit of God's comfort. And a place to engage your creator in creation somewhere. All right, prayer team, those of you that are in the house, some of you are on the schedule. Let's come up. Why don't you all move forward a little bit? They're going to come behind you and, uh, and pray over you during this last song. I'm going to pray first. And then uh, prayer team, find somebody that's up here that um, is standing here would like prayer. If you came up for prayer, just put your hand up like this so they know. And everybody's got somebody. All right. You can still come up during the song. If you were like, oh, I don't know. Now's your time. You can keep coming. Let me, let me pray first. God, I thank you for these folks. God, what I see right here are highly productive people. They have achieved much in their life. They are good at what they do. They love to win. They love to do things well. But God, there are times when the the benefits that we get from that are messing with our ability to live a balanced life. And we know that we're starting to suffer from that that our souls are getting weary in the middle of that. So God, I pray, I pray boundaries over these folks. I pray that they would have balance in their life. I pray that they would learn that they are a child of God with or without the things they do. Because God, if tomorrow they got hit by a truck in a way that they couldn't produce, God, that they are still your child. (laughs) That their identity is not wrapped up in that. Their identity is not in what they do. You don't care. You gave them every gift that they're using. It all comes from you. So God, I pray that you would allow them to to get a glimpse of how you rested and took rhythm and sat down and took naps and didn't hurry and didn't shortchange folks. God, I pray that on them. Help them to recover from the addiction they might have to producing. I ask all of these things in your name. You guys just go ahead and pray then over everything.